Welcome to Crooked Little Girl. This is one woman's story of receiving a crooked gospel that created a crooked life. The quality of this podcast is not professional by any means, and I know it's not professional. I can't hide the effects of long COVID that comes through in my speech sometimes with nerve damage in my tongue. I can't hide the breathing issues from long COVID either, or the outdoor sounds that come and go, or most of all, my five kids that make the noise of 50 people all day long in this house where I'm recording. Still, I hope that you can enjoy the story of a crooked girl. Dear Evangelicals, I did marriage the way that you said we should do marriage, not even from the time we took our vows, but I started off with the purity culture, fail-proof way, the divorce-proof way, as you would always say, but also the way to have a healthy, fulfilling just an all-around wonderful marriage, a marriage where you're not just like the people out there, the unsaved or the Christians who don't know the right way to do things, meaning the ones who lustfully chose someone based on their own emotions or physical attraction or things like that, and not like the ones out there who used common sense about things like, my personality is like this and my partner's personality is like that and look at all the ways that we overlap in really wonderful ways but then we're different in other ways and we can really be a good balance for each other no no purity culture showed us that that was very very wrong that was the human way that was the natural way not the supernatural way i needed the supernatural way The stories and the examples in the books, sermons, marriage and dating, seminars, the frequent talks to teenagers at big things like youth rallies, but also at local church level things, conversations, all of it said that if I went by what made sense, what seemed good on paper or what a human person could figure out and say, yeah, that looks like it would work. Well, that was going to just be a train wreck. That was the way of the short-term good, the short-term human view. God's view is bigger. And God takes people that are really mismatched, people that everyone in the natural, those people out there, not in our club, that they would laugh at it or ridicule or even give, you know, good sounding warnings. But us people in the church, we knew, we knew better than that. We knew that God has the biggest, best view and that everything that he wants, it doesn't make sense in the natural. That's why all these people have amazing marriages, but everything looked bad. They had so many people telling them not to get married but they did it. They did it for God. They did it because they are sold out for Jesus in ways that normal people just can't understand. I remember, evangelicals, how you ridiculed the Christians who don't really love Jesus. They only think they do because their version of Christianity is something where everything makes sense and you know you feel pretty good, you feel comfortable, That's a really bad thing to ever feel comfortable. And so when it came to dating and and just marriage itself, we were supposed to feel uncomfortable. 
we were supposed to feel the attacks, the spiritual attacks that prove that you are doing something right for the kingdom of heaven. If you're not being attacked enough, then obviously Satan doesn't even consider you a threat. And that goes for marriage, not just other parts of your life. It goes for dating and arranged marriages like mine. If Satan is attacking, that shows that this is God's plan, that he wanted you two together from the beginning of time, from before time. He wanted these two people together and Satan will do anything in his power to keep them apart and to make it look really convincing that you shouldn't be married. Now, I say all that, evangelicals, to say all of that explained why my marriage was terrible. It was terrible for God. It was terrible because it was so right. The physical, emotional, spiritual, financial abuse, all of that, that was Satan. That wasn't my husband. The neglect, the stonewalling, the being mocked, the smear campaigns, deep, repeated, ongoing for decades smear campaigns to my family, his family, and our church, that was Satan. My husband had no control, right? That's what everyone tells me. Now, when I look back at being engaged, I even hate to call it engaged. I mean, I guess technically that's what it was. But when I look back at when he got my name and leaders confirmed it, and I was excited because because I was chosen by God. Now I knew my plan for my life. Whatever else my life included, now I knew the person who would be there with me. The person who would share all the ups and downs. The person that would know everything that happened more than any close friend. I was so excited for that that fact. I was not excited for the person that it was because it was a person who I always felt uncomfortable around. I had known him all during college and four years into that, I, I just, I had never felt like there was any kind of ease or possibility of friendship or anything like that. There were things that I saw as character flaws and then just a feeling that if I knew him better, I would see a lot worse, but I couldn't argue with God and God confirms things through men and also through leaders, men and women who are my leaders, because of course, every person's heart is deceitful above all things. We can't trust our hearts. We have to trust leaders as the spokespeople for God and as the ones who have the objective sense, not just a spokesperson for God from a direct word that he shows, but from their gut instincts, because the Holy Spirit is actively working in their gut instincts about a certain thing. So I believed everyone that this was my plan for life, to marry this man that I was really afraid of. I thought... The worse it seems, the better my life is going to be. I didn't just think that. I should say I was told that emphatically from two churches and other people in my lives that were, you know, supposedly listening to you. And they were so much smarter and wiser. They were married. They had decades of marriage. You know, they, they saw things in a way that I couldn't see. I was only looking for my own comfort 
I was only looking for feeling safe. And we all know that feeling safe, that is of Satan. We're not supposed to feel safe. We are in a war. We are fighting for the kingdom of God. And everyone, Satan and all those other people, they're fighting against us. They are especially fighting against marriage. So any good marriage or possible marriage that's ordained by God, it's going to get the full force of all of heaven's fury. So I braced myself, and that's what I got. Evangelicals, I knew very well from a very young age that Eve ate the apple. She not only ate it, she gave it to Adam and she convinced him to eat it. And that was the thing that really did us women in for all of eternity. It would have been one thing, I think, if the story went that Eve ate the apple and women were cursed in some way. But the fact that we made men eat it, that they wouldn't have... Adam was going around, he never even wanted to eat the apple, and the serpent didn't talk to him, right? The serpent knew that Adam would never listen to him. He couldn't fall for anything like that. But the serpent convinced Eve. She had a way to get Adam's attention to convince him that he should do something wrong. And so I paid for Eve's horrible, horrible sin, the sin of manipulating and coercing her husband, that's the lens that I viewed my marriage through. Whenever things got confusing and I felt ashamed or I felt like, oh, I messed up. I didn't even realize I was messing up. I thought I was doing something normal or usually something even helpful. And I got it wrong because like Eve, I don't know how things work. I I'm listening to Satan without even realizing that it's Satan. I'm thinking that something, you know, it seems right. It seems like maybe a healthy decision or I'm voicing an opinion. I have no idea when the thoughts stop being my own rational thoughts and they're actually Satan trying to manipulate me in hopes of manipulating my husband. Everyone told me from an early age that that's how it works that women can't tell when Satan is taking over your thoughts and giving you something. There are some cardinal ways that we can recognize this satanic attack of our thoughts. The ways that you know it might be happening, those are things like feeling very, very confident that you have the right answer or the right solution. If you feel confident about that, well, that's probably pride. That's probably Satan puffing you up, giving you that false sense of being right. So if you feel right, you've got to really pause. You've got to reconsider before you even say anything at all. Another way that you might be uh, able to recognize that Satan is taking over your brain, it's that feeling of being misunderstood or being disrespected or you know, just overall not heard by your husband. If you feel that, that is definitely self-pity because husbands, they love their wives like Christ loves the church. Even husbands who never really seem loving or kind or thoughtful, that's what they're doing. But as wives, we can't feel their love because we are so deceived by Satan, but also by our hearts and by the culture 
the feminism in the culture that even us really, really sheltered, homeschooled, purity culture kids, we grow up into women who believe in feminist ideas because it's just too hard to keep that away from all the girls out there. So if you feel like your husband isn't really listening or he doesn't really have your best interest at heart, Wow, you are wallowing in self-pity. By the time you can even recognize that feeling, it's there. It's It's been growing so long. It's like this huge plant of self-pity. And what should you do? Should you just snip off a few branches here and there? No, you should pull it out by the roots. You should trust that your husband loves you like Christ loves the church. And therefore, whatever he does, no matter how painful no matter how wrong or scary it feels, that that trust in him without questioning, the trusting while it hurts you and scares you, that makes God so happy. It makes God so proud of you because then he can say, look at my daughter down there. She feels like this is wrong or bad. And instead she's trusting her husband and that is the highest way that a wife can ever live. Evangelicals, you taught me so many things that are counterculture. So many things that, I mean, even in lists that I saw in the uh, very few glimpses I got of normal American culture, I would see lists like, does your partner or your boyfriend or husband do these things? And they would give practical everyday examples like threaten you, withhold basic needs like medical care or food or money that you need for things? Does he give you the silent treatment for days on end? Does he blame you for every single conflict and countless other things? I would read it and basically everything on any list I saw, it all applied to me. It applied from about three days after we got matched for our arranged marriage. I would read it I would get really scared. There was this place way down deep in the pit of my stomach. It felt like something gnawing and, and churning and rolling around every time I saw a list like that. It got so that over the years, if I was somewhere like a hospital or a doctor office and I saw that they had things like that, you know, the lists or the little pamphlets. I just couldn't help it. I would find a way to read them again. I wasn't brave enough to look online. I knew that was just completely insubordinate. But if I could look at something like that in a way that no one could really see, I mean, except God, he saw, and, and I felt guilty that he knew I was reading those lists over and over, but something in me was like drawn it was, it was like a magnet, always drawing me there. One of the examples that always got me was if the list included things about keeping you from your friends. I would think back to early in our marriage. I had a, a really close friend, my best friend. We went to college together, and then we just happened to live near each other um, after grad school. We both had our babies at the same year our first babies and we really had fun together and she really knew me and accepted and loved me and I loved spending time with her we always laughed and had fun 
And about two years into marriage or so, my husband, he had always been mad when I spent time with her. He didn't really like me getting getting any time with friends. Um, but about two years in, he heard a word from God, the kind of word that God only gives men, not women. And the word was that she was trying to deceive me and she was going to really hurt me. And so I had to break off my friendship with her. I don't remember if it was weeks or months, but I was so upset. I was so sad. I mostly believed the word, but I also doubted it. And then I, I, I just, I, I just felt terribly guilty every time I went to church or in all my daily Bible reading and praying that was such a huge part of the day. All those times I, I just felt so guilty for doubting that word. Obviously, God was showing my husband something that I could never understand. He was showing this higher truth, and he gives it to the husbands, not the wives. I knew that, so I, I wrestled with it. I cried. I didn't know how I could ever tell her that we have to stop being friends. And then one day, my husband, he wrote out a message. It was either on an email or instant message or something like that, and it said something to the effect of, I really just don't want to be friends anymore. And he sent, well, he didn't send it. He wrote it out as me. And then he told me that I needed to send it because it was my friendship. And this is how I could prove that I trust God and that I really am going to lead a good life. This was how I would show that I'm committed to our marriage and that I'm not just going to be a wife who goes around doing things my own way to hurt my husband because it would deeply, deeply hurt him if we stayed friends. He couldn't handle any kind of uh, discussion about it. It just always dissolved into this huge conflict and I would cry and cry and cry. I cried about almost everything we talked about for almost 20 years. <laughs> I pushed send. I, I feel so terrible now when I think about it, but I also know the reasons I did it, they made sense at the time, and I thought that God was so proud of me. But it hurt my friend, and she went through a really, really hard time almost right after that, and I hate to think about it. And then for years, I would see things on those lists about sabotaging your relationships with friends or keeping you from them. And I would think, is that what he did? All of the things on the list, withholding medical care. Yeah, not driving me or my kids to the hospital if we need it or to the doctor office or saying that he won't pay for it because for most of our marriage we had no health insurance our kids did they always had medicaid but us adults until the last maybe two years of our marriage maybe four we didn't have health insurance we had to pay out of pocket and so if i had a urinary tract infection or i don't know something that was going on I couldn't go get help because he would get so angry, so, so angry. And he would say that I was manipulating him, that maybe I didn't realize it. Maybe to me it felt real. Maybe the symptoms felt real, but it was really 
me trying to ruin his day, trying to make him pay for things, and he would never, ever pay for things that was just manipulation. He had so many good explanations, but they were all very heated, very high stakes, and it all included me being being the thing that ruined his life. Everything I did, everything that my body did, it was a way that I was ruining his life. It was a way where he could have been happier with someone else, but God made him marry me. He never liked me. That was clear. From the minute he got my name, he tried to convince God that he couldn't marry me. He didn't like me at all. And then finally, when he admitted to me that he got my name, it was not with joy. It was with a lot of regret, a lot of foreboding and disappointment because right from the start during our our whole engagement and early marriage I mean really all the way through our marriage but mostly at the start he was really really embarrassed to be seen with me he hated the way I looked because I look hideous and disgusting he hated the way I naturally look like just as a human being but he also hated the way I dressed the way I walked He tried to get me to watch other people and how they walk to be able to walk better. And I just couldn't figure it out. I I didn't even really try to walk different. I, I knew that as a kid, I grew up wearing a back brace for really bad scoliosis. And I did have a limp sometimes as a younger person. But by the time I went to college, that was fixed. I didn't need the back brace anymore. And I thought that they had gotten me to walk normally, but apparently they didn't. And I felt so bad for being embarrassing. I felt so bad as the years went on and he just never could hold down a job. Even the jobs he got and he kept for a while, they didn't pay enough. We were always in poverty. And I knew from what he said, it was because of me. It was because either people at his job or his boss even would meet me or see a picture of me or something. And they, they just wouldn't promote him. They wouldn't trust him with much because God forced him to have this really, really embarrassing person that he had to be with. He was so angry at God. I would see him rage and cry and, and, and just get so depressed, so tormented that he had to be with me. He just couldn't get over it all those years. I tried so hard to be easy to be kinder, to be more understanding all the time. I was always apologizing that he had to be with me. I tried really hard to make myself better. I have always liked to read. I've always really loved to learn new things. So I would have been like that anyway, but it was like I was that on steroids, just always learning things, always trying to be smarter. I was always an understanding and patient person, but I was very, very, very understanding and patient with him because he had to put up with me. It was like I was down so far in the negative numbers that anything I did would probably keep me at that level or worse, but I tried when I could to proactively go up a little bit at least, but I knew I could never even be neutral to him. I couldn't get to that ground level of just being okay. It was like a crushing, crushing weight. I opened up a lot to people. People in my church where we lived at first, and then when he moved us to another state where we didn't know anyone because he felt God saying that 
If we stayed where we were, where I had a lot of friends, I would lean on my friends too much, and I would never, ever trust him. And so to help me and to prioritize our marriage, to show that he valued marriage more than anything and he was going to be a good husband, he made the painful choice that we should move far, far away. And so we did. We moved across the country and at that new place, at the church that he picked, I opened up to people there. And in both places, they just kept telling me that it's really hard when you first get married. It's really hard for the woman because the man, he doesn't have emotions like us. His emotions are just kind of like getting mad sometimes, getting hungry, getting tired. I look back and I think those aren't really emotions, but that's what everyone would list off at two different churches. They said that those are a man's emotions, that every now and then he would just kind of feel neutral or, or maybe sometimes feel happy, but you know, that's how they described men. They just kind of vacillate through those things. When I look back now, it's more like they were describing like a 10 month old or a toddler, (laughs) but Women, they said, women have millions of emotions and they feel very forceful and real. We have to learn to stop listening to them. We can't stop feeling them usually, although a few holy women, they really did stop feeling their emotions and that was very admirable. But even though we couldn't stop feeling them, we had to turn them off in our brains. We had to just say, oh, there's that feeling. Feels like I'm being really disrespected. Oh my gosh, that's Satan. You just turn it off. You say, oh, wow, I'm going to trust God right now. I'm going to trust God and not my feelings. So I tried to do that. I never got good at it. 19 years in, terrible at it, just like at the beginning. I didn't understand how people could do it. I tried and tried and tried. I look back also and I see, evangelicals, how you convinced me that that marriage is not supposed to be happy or comfortable or anything like that. So things would happen like he would come home from work. I would have done something that that he said to do, whatever it was, it could be anything. And he would look at it, I would show, oh, look, I did this and this and this. And exactly like you said, look, it actually worked out. He would just have this disgusted look. There was always a long pause. He would kind of take it all in and look more and more disgusted or repulsed. And then say, I can't believe that you think this is right. I said this. And then he would say something that was completely different, at least from what I remembered, completely different, or it included all these other things. I would feel so embarrassed and so sad that I thought I did it right. Here I was bothering him when I didn't even do this thing right. So I would apologize a lot. I would feel so ashamed. I would go back and do it the new way. And half the time or more after you know listening very closely and making sure asking him many questions I would go and and I would do that thing again and and then it was even worse he would get angry not just disgusted and he would say I can't believe how stupid you are I told you this 
And then he would say something different. This could be about how to do some kind of paperwork that we needed to do. Um, it could be about something on the house, like how to do one of our many DIY projects that we were trying to fix up the house. Or it could be something relational, whatever it was. I always messed up and I, I just sank deeper and deeper. And because this happened constantly, I saw that marriage is not comfortable. You can't ever feel at ease with your husband, at least not if you're a bad wife like me. Because good wives, I, I saw them. I saw them all the time at church or in all the Christian media. They talked about how their husbands counted on them and relied on them for all these different things. But they were better at not listening to their feelings. And they were better at trusting their husbands and not getting hurt feelings or self-pity or doubt like I kept getting. Evangelicals. I look back at myself, I look back and I see someone who was trying so hard, but it was all futility. One of the other ways that that dynamic played out was when I would ask permission to go out somewhere. Maybe I was going to go meet with one of the youth group girls when we were the youth leaders, or I was going to meet with someone from church. I would say things like, okay, I could do it at this time or this other time or this third or fourth time. Why don't you pick? And, you know, if it's at this first time, the kids will be doing this. Or the second time, they'll be doing this. I would lay out everything. I mean, over the years, it got to be this huge thing. I would explain all about what would happen at either time that I went out. He would choose it. I would feel very good about how well I prepared him for it. I would make sure, probably multiple times, every single time this played out, what time do I need to be back? Okay, it's that time. Oh, wait, just to be sure, what time? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. It's that time. I would go over and over, and then he would get mad, and he would say things sometimes like, you make it sound like I'm so controlling. I don't know why you, you do this to me. It's like you're making me out to be some kind of a jerk that you have to ask all these times. So then I would try not to ask, but I couldn't help it because what always happened, always, every time, I would come back from wherever I was and he would be beyond angry by the time I walked in the door. Sometimes he would start calling before my agreed time to come home saying that I was late and that didn't I remember we said this other time. But if he didn't call, I would walk in to someone who was just so angry. He would either be angry saying that I messed it up, that I didn't prepare him well enough because, you know, the kids, they needed this thing and they did this and it was more than what I said that he would have to do. Or I got the time wrong and didn't I remember the many, many times when he said it was this time, it was an hour or a half hour earlier it always felt like my mind was cracking into pieces, like three or four huge splinters fell off of my brain every time we had these conversations. Because every time it happened, for so many years, for 20 years almost, every time I would vow that next time I would check better, next time I would really make sure I remembered, I assumed that I was crazy. 
after the first six months or maybe less, I would tell people things, you know, like friends when we were just chatting or talking about life or marriage or whatever, I would say, I have the worst memory. I used to think I had a good memory, but I really can't remember things. I'm kind of worried about it. I asked my doctor about it. Like, how can you get tested for something, you know, like a memory problem? But then the really low-level stuff they would look into, I was fine. The really confusing thing happened when I got a per diem job at the front desk of the hospital. We needed money. My husband had been really sick for a little while at that point. And I talked him into me working, which is a whole other episode. I was not supposed to work. I had to sacrifice my master's degree and sacrifice having a job. And the church had me do a covenant with God (laughs) early on. I think it was in the first year of marriage, a covenant with God where I was working for God, not working for humans. And he would pay me a lot better. (laughs) Anyway, that's for another day. But Uh, I talked my husband into me having this job because it was per diem, which means I'm basically a substitute. I might work no shifts in every, in any given month, but every now and then if somebody was going on vacation or sick, they would ask the regular workers first. And if they really needed a backup person, then I could go in. I would answer questions. I would help the visitors and the patients and staff. There were a lot of them that came to the desk every day, every hour. Lots of people needed help, and it was a fun job. And one of the things when I started, everyone, my boss, but also all the coworkers, they kept saying that I had the best memory. (laughs) They talked about how long it takes to train someone for this job. We had a huge binder for each of us, and the binder had everything about the hospital this huge research and teaching hospital. It had so many things. It wasn't just the hospital. It was the medical students, the resident programs, the research labs on one wing of the hospital. It was all the vendors, all the equipment people, uh, besides just the patients and visitors. They had just sections in this binder about everything involved in this huge, huge building, thousands of people. And, you know, somebody might come to the desk if I was alone on a weekend or at night, late at night, they might come in and say, hey, I'm supposed to go meet with someone who's working in the research lab. Maybe it's like a a lab where they have animals in there and Uh, you know, they do something with experiments. I don't know all the details even now after working there, but someone would say something vague and they would say, I'm supposed to go somewhere, but I have no idea where it is. And I really quickly, I knew offhand, oh, you're going to go down this hallway, go up that escalator, not the elevator. And when you get off the escalator, you're going to see, you know, if you go to to this hallway, uh, you'll see this little window kind of thing with a phone next to it and if you pick up the phone you dial this and then the person who does that research is going to answer I just I don't know I learned everything really quickly and my colleagues were always complimenting me on it you know as we worked at the desk if somebody else was there with me 
I would just rattle off things because I had walked around <laughs> all our chronic illnesses. One of the things I would do if, if I had a kid in the hospital, I would just kind of walk around either to waste time or to settle my nerves or whatever. And I knew where things were, but I also got a feel for how it worked. But a lot of it, like those research things, I had no idea until I got the job that that stuff even happened at this hospital building. And I learned it really quickly. Um, it was amazing to be told that I had a good memory. <laughs> it was amazing to start to see that I could do things. And I can't help but wonder, was my memory good because I spent 20 years trying to get a good memory, trying to focus on every single thing. I feel like because of my marriage, my memory got to be like this very intricate computer system. I was constantly adding new files all the time because I couldn't understand the rules and I kept losing track of things apparently. So I learned how to hold on to every single piece of information and also all the feelings, all the senses around it. And then when I got this job, I was just naturally good at that. <laughs> I also learned at that job that I'm a real person. I know that might sound funny, but I had come to see myself, I don't know, long before our first anniversary as this hideous, hard to be around creature, not even a person, but just like this creature that was disgusting and always messed everything up. And, and I, I didn't realize it before getting engaged because everyone else was just so, um, so nice, you know, out of pity for me. That's what he would say. They just pitied you. They were just going along. Nobody liked you. Why would they like someone so ugly and gross? Why would they like someone who walks like that? Why would they like someone who says the word silly? It's so crazy to look back now, but I, I totally believed it. And I felt very grateful to him for showing me that those people didn't really like me. And very grateful that now when I went through the world, I could go through it as the authentic thing that I was, this weird, hideous creature that people didn't want to look at and people didn't want to hear. And that's how I lived. And I felt so sad for my kids because they had to put up with me too, all the time. We homeschooled. We had to homeschool. We had to do all these things in the evangelical bubble. It wasn't just my husband though, because evangelicals, it was all of you that put out all of that Christian media and all the sermons, but also the conversations one-on-one -on -one or in groups where you told me that if I just prayed more for my husband, then he would grow to love me. Even if I was hideous, God had made us for each other. And so if he didn't love me yet, it's because either I was resisting him, like spiritually in my thoughts, I was resisting him or criticizing him, or else it was that I just wasn't covering us in prayer enough. I needed to pray more for him to accept me. It was just like this hamster wheel that I could never get off of until finally, by the grace of the real God, not the God of evangelical crazy land, I decided to go into therapy 
And I specifically picked someone who wasn't going to give Bible verses and say to pray more, but a real therapist, a real licensed person who treated mental disorders because obviously I had a lot of mental disorders. That's what everyone told me, (laughs) my husband, my church, my family. And I felt bad for them having to be around me if I had all these untreated mental disorders. So I went to therapy and I found out I'm smart. I have a handle on things. I actually am not a hideous creature. That combination of therapy and then soon after getting the job at the hospital, they showed me that normal people who don't go to my church, they treat me in a completely different way. evangelicals you treated me like this liability who's just always ruining everything who never meets the mark because I'm always having these problems right I'm so critical I'm full of self-pity all of that stuff but then my therapist she said that I I, I'm I'm just a regular human being and I actually have a lot of good qualities and she helped shine that beacon of light where eventually, not really because of anything she specifically said, but a couple years into therapy, I started to catch on to the games. I started to realize I did know the rules that I had to play by in this marriage. And I started to write things down secretly. I think that's the number one thing that got me into reality and out of crazy land. Whenever we would make a a plan, like me going out to have coffee with someone (laughs) or me going over to my sister's house to watch a movie, any of those plans like I described before, I didn't check a million times because I started to write it down. I would take a little scrap paper, write down exactly what time we agreed on and put it away. I don't know why I didn't think of that early on. I had it right there in front of me because I would let him pick the time. It wasn't anything that I could make up or or think, oh, I wanted this time, so I wrote it down, but really he had said this. No, I had it there, right there, written down. Nothing could change it, and it was in my pocket. And when the time came to go out and do whatever thing I was going to do, he might call or text and say that I had it wrong, but I could look at the paper The thing that really was the breaking point in me playing the game, it was Christmas. (laughs) Christmas 2020, when I was severely sick with long COVID. I was still recovering from the acute phase of COVID, but developing long COVID. And our daughter had been in the hospital that December. She was home by Christmas. She was coming out of us almost losing her to that virus. And so after the, um, the time that I stayed with her in the ICU, we get home very soon after it's Christmas day. We had made a plan for opening the presents in a certain way. Probably sounds ridiculous in light of the situation in our lives, (laughs) but, but things like that were always stressful because holidays and birthdays and day trips Those were very, very, very hard for my husband. (laughs) He could not handle how I always ruined them. And the hypervigilance was very high around any of those kind of days. 
And so at this particular Christmas, he had the idea beforehand, maybe a day or two before, that the reason he always got mad at me about how we opened presents, it was because of some certain things that he had realized. And so he needed me to do it this other certain way. And it had something to do with me having garbage bags and me sorting out all the presents like by person so that we all had our own pile beforehand. And then me doing something with the wrapping paper. I don't have the papers where I write it, wrote it down anymore, but I, I had them at the time. I made sure of all the details very, very carefully. And then I immediately wrote down the plan in absolute detail. It was a lot of information. I looked at it a lot that day. And then Christmas morning, I read through it a couple of times early, early in the morning when our little kids were getting up and we were making coffee. And I just kept secretly going around to the other room and reading it, making sure I remembered, yeah, I know the plan. And when it came time to open presents, I had my garbage bags. I was starting to do my thing. And he said, what the heck are you doing? You're ruining it. Why are you even doing that? I got flustered, but not as flustered as I normally would when this happened because I knew what the paper said. It still felt like someone threw a bucket of ice water on me. But I said, remember, we agreed on this. And I started saying part of the plan. And he immediately said to the kids, because it's Christmas morning, we're opening presents. He said something like, why does she always do this? She ruins things. She just makes up these weird plans. She makes up these things that nobody would ever do it that way. That sounds so complicated. It's like you have all these details and things that you have to do. This is Christmas morning. We're supposed to just open presents. What the heck are you doing? What's wrong with you? The kids were really mad at me that I was making opening presents into this elaborate hard, confusing thing, and I was messing it up somehow. I saw it play out. I felt so sad, so frustrated, and so angry. But that was the time where I thought, this is ridiculous. He's setting me up. I saw that Christmas morning that he had set me up for almost 20 years every day, usually more than once a day. He told me things and then when I did it, he did that. And I thought I was crazy, but I wasn't. <sighs> Luckily it was Christmas and with a lot of kids, you have people just playing with toys and enjoying all their new stuff. And so I spent that Christmas afternoon and evening just journaling writing down everything I could think of, praying, trying to get a handle on reality because now for the first time I was looking straight at reality and I knew I had to get out. I couldn't live like this because now I knew it wasn't my fault. I might actually be able to have a sane and good and balanced life if I was out of this marriage. And that's what I started pushing for. All that week, I pushed hard. I pushed against things. I pointed things out. I stood up for myself so that by New Year's Day, 
he said, get in the car. We have to talk about something. And when I got in the car, I never expected what I heard. But I heard that he had been attracted to guys all along since he was a really little kid. And he was starting to think that maybe that had something to do with his hatred of me and how he hated being married and how he never wanted kids. And whenever I was pregnant, he was mad at me for getting pregnant. He didn't want people living with him. He, he really never wanted to live with anyone. He hated sharing anything. I knew that from even before we actually got married, just visiting him. He hated it if I used, I don't know, the food that was in the fridge. You know, it, it was just always confusing to me. Like, I thought it was our food. I thought I was allowed to finish the last of the mac and cheese or whatever, but apparently I wasn't. I learned early in marriage that the kids and I weren't allowed to do a lot of things that other wives and kids could do. Anyway, on that drive, he vented and he processed a lot. And he started to give me glimpses into this whole dark other side of things that I had no idea about. And then over the next nine or ten months things kept piling up as he processed and as he admitted things until finally one day that fall he watched a documentary it was on one of the streaming channels and it's called pray away and in it he saw his counselors for conversion therapy that he met when he was in middle school he saw other kids like him or people that as kids they got help back then and now they were around our age, and they were still gay, just like he was still gay. He fell apart. He completely fell apart. He watched it at night when we were all sleeping, <laughs> and then he was just a wreck. I didn't know what was wrong at first until he had me watch it, and at the end of it, it said something about a group for straight spouses that was online. I went on it immediately. I got into the different resources that they have. And I started to see that my marriage was exactly like all the marriages where a closeted gay person gets married because they're told that that will finally change them. That will make all the deliverance and conversion therapy work. I learned that the people who encouraged me to listen to God and get married and take that leap of faith, they were helping to do that conversion therapy for him. He had cried and gotten all these deliverance and inner healing sessions from them where he still was gay, and they kept trying to deliver that out of him. And they didn't tell me. They didn't tell me what my job was, really. They just kept pushing me and pushing me to trust God that he would be better once we said our vows. I have so many complicated emotions when I think back to that. I have a lot that I'm sure I'm going to keep processing for years, even though it's been two or three years now since all this came out. It's been a year and a half since he lived in our house. 
and I'm still processing. I'm still having memories, you know, the surface either randomly or things come up and remind me of something. And I think, oh, it all makes sense now. And he wasn't abusive because he was gay. I know that. He was abusive because you, evangelicals, you showed him from childhood that this was something that's wrong with him. Something that he needs to have cast out and fixed. You showed him that if he married a girl, he would become normal. All the ways that you lied to me about how marriage is supposed to work and about what God wants of me, it went hand in hand with what you showed him. Evangelicals, you set us up for pain. You set our kids up for pain. Luckily, I got out. Luckily, I kept pushing for so many years, getting more exhausted, feeling more crazy every year that went by, but I still managed to get out. And I'm grateful for that because the one who got me out, it was the real God. And that God, I think just the nature of who I believe God to be, he's everywhere. He's with everyone if we just turn. And so he was there in the churches with you, but not the way that you thought he was. There was another God that we were all worshiping, this God that you talked about. This God that wants us to feel uncomfortable. This God that loves it when I'm harmed. This God that loves it when I'm abused because that's how he's refining me. This God that is fighting Satan and I'm just caught in the crossfire. That's not the God that I know now. And by the grace of this new God, I got freedom I'm starting to find reality and sanity more and more and more every month that goes by. And it's that God that I am grateful to. I'll end with a poem that I wrote called Worth the Pain. Is it worth the pain? The heavy fog of deception, twisted barbs of abuse, berated as demonized, Ignored while in pain, shamed for doubting, silenced for voicing truth, labeled rebellious despite pure obedience. Resilience was forged in the hellfire of heresy. Fortitude was grown in the toil of futility. Gratitude was birthed in the ache of starvation. Hope was discovered in the wilderness of rejection. Joy was glimpsed in the cracks of the walls. Are these worth the pain? Goodness, no, not one bit. I would rather possess a mind unprogrammed by deception, a body untouched by trauma, a soul unfamiliar with betrayal. Those would be worth innumerable riches. There's no comparison between scars and whole flesh. Beauty from ashes will never smell like wholesome fruit born in lush orchard fields.